But last week I, I spoke on making Jesus famous. And I'd like to do that again today. Making Jesus famous. How do you make Jesus face famous? You let Him out. You let, him, let people know who He is. Amen? And you don't always have to do that through a... You, know, you don't have to know the full gospel. You don't even have to know the whole Bible. All you have to do is love on people. All you have to do is be willing to pray for them. You know, I, I found that in my life, sometimes with somebody, just a simple prayer, or just a, you're putting your hand on their shoulder and simply praying with them can change them forever. You know, people don't need a lot. They just need a touch. They just need a prayer, you know, and that can change their life forever. But the goal of every believer in Christ isn't perfect performance. If you think that you have to be the perfect performer, you're not going to make it. You can't measure up. It's in knowing Jesus and His perfect performance for you 2,000 years ago, what He did. He did it. He said it is finished. It is done. So in the Spirit, we're, we're made perfect. Amen? We don't have to grapple or, or wonder or what to do. But I found also that the gift of the Gospel are the things that Jesus has accomplished for us. What He did for us. You know, He, he said... You know, we know that sin separates, but He took away all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that we would have a hope and that we would be able to get through life without too much struggle. Does that mean we're never going to have trials or tribulations? We know that's not true. Amen? Uh, we, all our loved ones around us sometimes you know, are struggling and we're praying for them and loving them. But the goal of the Gospel is what it is all about is is, is Jesus. It's all about Him. It's good news. And that's what I like about the Gospel, the Gospel of the Kingdom, preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom. And the ground of the Gospel is everything the Gospel is based on. The who at the heart of the good news. Who's the who? Jesus. Jesus. I don't know who you want to talk about during Christmas, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. Amen. He's going to be the center of my focus during Christmas. Because the Gospel is the message of God to us and it has a beautiful simplicity and an inexhaustible intricacy. I just, it's unbelievable what it is. It's so simple. The gospel is so simple, a child can grasp it. And so rich, you can spend the rest of your life studying what it's all about. I found some things I've been preaching now for about, I was thinking about this this morning. I've been preaching about 35 years. Over 35 years. It's a long time. You know, most pastors don't make it 20 years and they're retiring after all the wait, you know. But, you know, sometimes you just got to go. But I hope to go at least two more years before I have to retire. But when I retire, I won't retire. I'll just refire. I'm going to move from pastoral to kingdom. I'm going to move into apostolic and prophetic to see what God will do in that realm. Amen? I'm already planning to move to a higher realm. Because the higher you go with God, I found out the higher you go with God, the less devils that, that, that mess with you. But the gospel, I found out that the gospel is not, a, a, you know, it's not a, it's not something you sell to impress God with your love. It is the passion declaration of our Father's undying love for us. I mean. There's so much in the gospel. What healing is in the gospel. Deliverance is in the gospel. It's just not one thing. It's just not salvation. It's everything included. Like they say in you know the secular language, the sauce prego 
The word prego means it's all in there. And it's the same thing with salvation. It's all in there. Everything's included in your salvation. And you get a lifetime to discover it. And the gospel is not an appeal to engage in soul searching or fault finding. It is the emphatic declaration that you have been completely and eternally forgiven through the blood of the Lamb. That you have been completely and eternally forgiven through the blood of the Lamb. The gospel is not merely a promise of a ticket to heaven, even though that's important. Amen? It is the power of God to bless you with His saving and abundant life here and now. Say, abundant life here and now. He wants you to have it here and now. The gospel is not an advertising brochure for the treasures of the kingdom. It is the thrilling revelation that the lover of your soul desires to share his life in a wedded union with you forever. I mean, it's just the power of the union of Christ, of being one. The gospel is not an invitation to only accept Jesus, though it is all that and more. It is the stunning announcement that he accepts you just as you are. You realize that in Romans 5, the Bible declares that He loved us even while we were yet sinners. His desire was for us. He doesn't, he's not affected by our behavior. We don't push Him away because we don't behave right. He's always there just waiting for us to say yes. Yes and Amen. The gospel is not a sign-up sheet for the sanctification classes. It is the definite announcement that in Christ you are holy indeed. Amen? I mean, how I many know there's scriptures that validate that, 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 that you're born again, you're sanctified, you're, you're set apart. The gospel is not a list of things you must do to inherit eternal life. It is the blessed announcement that the righteousness you need to enter the kingdom of heaven comes to you as a free gift through faith. Say free gift through faith. Amen. And the gospel is not a reform program for bad people, even though it does do that. It is the liberating declaration of a new life for those who have died. It's not, not, not I who lives, Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Amen. And the gospel is not some kind of half-baked hope that you can extend your old broken life indefinitely, but it's the joyful announcement that in Christ the old is gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And the gospel is not some kind of vague idea that you get to rule and reign after you die. It is the royal announcement that the reign of the king is within the reach of faith every day. Every day we reign with the king and we rule. Amen? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this Scripture, Jesus said, is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen? So last week again, I don't know if you remember from last week, I talked about making Jesus famous. And I said, I said it, is in, it is found in these three beautiful words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
And there were three other words. I said there's three other words in the Bible that are very powerful, almost as powerful as Jesus is Lord. And those three words are found in 1 John, and they're called God is love. God is love. And knowing now that what we know, the gospel in one word, the gospel in one word is Jesus. Jesus. The gospel in one word. So there's people who write books, and I have friends who write books. <laughs> I read a lot of books. You guys know that. My wife says, when we, re when we move on to the Kingdom Center, Mike, she says, how, what are we gonna, how are we going to get the books? I said, we're going to rent a semi. We'll rent a semi or two from my brother, and we'll take the books with us. <laughs> because there's authors who write the gospel in 30 words, or the gospel in 10 words. But I like the gospel in one word. Jesus. Amen? The Messiah. The Anointed One. And so Jesus plus religion or philosophy is not a help but a hindrance. I, I like this one saying, somebody it's not mine, I didn't coin it, but uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And knowing that Jesus is the gospel, then adding more to the message from another source does not enhance the gospel, but waters it down. It's just really simple. Like I said in the beginning, a child can grasp the gospel. And then we get a lifetime to study it and discover all the things that are included in it. And when we borrow from other sources, we dilute the potent power of the gospel of Jesus. I like somebody said it this way. He says, Jesus, period. Jesus, period. And when Jesus is all there is in our lives, nothing else is needed. In fact, somebody said, if Jesus is Lord, there is no second. It's just all Him. And we can always learn without, without from other worldviews and other belief systems and other philosophies and other religions. But to be married to Jesus means that in the end, We've decided that He's enough. Have you decided that Jesus is enough? Matthew, an early disciple of Jesus, tells the Christmas story in his biography of Jesus, and in the middle of all of his comments, he says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call Him Emmanuel. Which means... God with us. God with us. The declaration is at the heart of the Gospel. It is the good news. And through Jesus, God has come down to us as one of us. What the, he didn't come as a donkey. He didn't come as a tiger or a lion, even though a lot of people depict him that, that way. But He came as a baby. As a man. As a person, as one of us, entering the same human pain and suffering and sorrow and love and joy and hope that we all experience. And He knows, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows what that's like to be human. And the story of the birth of Jesus makes our souls sit up and take notice. What we read about the life and the teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, I don't know about you, but for me it wins my heart completely. My heart is sold out to Jesus. 
I have no other residence in my heart. I have no other rivals that are vying for position in my heart. Jesus wins my heart completely. God is with us. Not, not merely. God is with us in this position. God is really with us. The story of Jesus announces to the world that God is for us and not against us. The Greek word for the love of God towards us revealed through Jesus is agape. Say agape. This is an unconditional love, a loyal love, with no strings attached. I tell you, most people who love you want something in return. But God doesn't want anything in return. Nothing. No strings attached. Love like that commits. Love that shows up and doesn't run away. He never. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, love never fails. It never runs away. He never quits on you. He never runs. Through Jesus, God not only shows us how much He loves us, He shows us what love is in the first place. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Let's go to 1 John 3.16. I didn't even look that up, but I'll turn with you. If you're there first, you can read it ten times before I get there. 1 John 3.16. Now you know that's the little John, right? When the one's in front. Don't go to John 3.16, even though that's a good Scripture. For God so loved the world. <laughs> but it says in 1 John 3.16, by this, by this we know love. And how do we do that? Because He laid down His life for us. That's not the end of the story, even though we'd like to stop right there and say, that's good, God. I like that. I turn to another page. No. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen? So Jesus shows us over and over again how God's love works. Through Jesus we learn that love is not doing what makes us feel good. Love is what is good despite of how we feel. Love is good despite of how we feel. Love is not always just an emotion of attraction or a feeling of desire. Love is the will to work, to expend energy outward. Or to give our life to others by laying our lives down, by lifting others up. I don't know about you, but when I share Jesus or when I talk about Jesus, I can sense the power of God working, lifting up others as I even speak. Sometimes when I pray for people, just laying my hand upon their shoulder, I can just sense the power of God. Just flowing through them. Nothing that I'm doing, just power of God working. And this love that I'm talking about today, this is not the love of pop songs. This is a love that changes the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is not mad at you. In fact, He's madly in love with you. God is madly in love with you. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. 
I'd say if God had a wallet, but most guys don't carry wallets anymore. <laughs> but if ladies, if God had a purse, your picture would be in, her, in the purse. God has a crush on you personally. God can't stop thinking about you every day. Every moment of every day. Let's go into Romans chapter 5. In the, I think I was going to do the New American Standard. I've got to read my notes just like you. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans 5, 6 in the New American Standard. Is that what we got up there, John? That's it. Okay. For a while we were still helpless at the right time. Say the right time. How many know that Jesus didn't mess up with the time? That He came at the, in the fullness of time, the Bible says. At the right time, it says. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, sin separates. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see that? You read that with me? Here, let me show you what I mean. He, he is God's demonstration. Jesus is God's demonstration of, of, of God's central message, which is the message of love for us. God is madly in love with you. He has a crush on you. <laughs> I love that thought. God has a crush on you. You see, at just the right time, what Jesus did. And love for us is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that this demonstration is in a... If you were doing a parsing guide, which when you study Scripture, you study etymologically, you use you know, word studies and Roberts and all these different things. But then there is parsing guides. A parsing guide tells you the present tense of what's happening in that Scripture. And so when you read these scriptures, 6, 7, and 8, the present, the present tense is an ongoing demonstration that never ends. So Jesus every day is finding somebody who's a sinner and accepting him into his kingdom. Every day. Every minute of every day. God demonstrates his love through Jesus. Through Jesus especially, through the fact of His death and the manner of which He died, God literally, if He could, if, I don't know if you've ever watched The Patriot or any war movies, whenever they win and they go up to the hill, they take a flag and they, they put the flag on the top of the hill as a flagpost, as we have won the battle. Amen? So when, when through Jesus went up, the fact of His death... In all manner in which he died, God planted a flag in history, a marker that can never be removed, a fixed point of the clarity that forever demonstrates his love. The crucifixion of Christ exists 
as ongoing evidence of God's love for us. If you're wondering where they're going, I think Linda's here. That's what I'm surmising. I'm surmising Linda's outside and they're going to go out and pray with her and have communion with her. I mean, that's okay. I mean, we're all able ministers of the Gospel. Amen? So the crucifixion of Christ exists as ongoing evidence of God's love for us. The Roman soldiers drove the nails into the hands and the feet of Jesus. And guess what? God still loved them. The religious leaders of Jesus' day who every single day Jesus ministered wanted to crucify Him, wanted to stone Him, wanted to kill Him, hurled insults at Him. And guess what? God still loved them. The disciples, who were the closest to Jesus, went everywhere with Him, ate with Him at the Last Supper, you know, denied and deserted Jesus when it was time to die, but God loved them still. In Jesus, we find a love so universal and so unconditional that it is almost unsettling. Jesus was not willing to harm anyone. Instead, He died to save everyone, including the very people who were killing Him on the cross. And that's why we can say why we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. And then we'll go to Romans 5.10 in the New King James. I think. <laughs> I got mixed up doing all this stuff today. So what are you doing to me, Jesus? He said, we're having fun. Romans 5.10... <laughs> i got to tell you, Romans 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, in case you didn't know it. <laughs> I bet some of you sit around after service and say, seems like Pastor Mike likes all 88,000 verses in the Bible. They're all his favorites. How many, how many have favorite, favorite verses? How many like all 88,860 verses? But Romans 5, verse 10 it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. After Jesus had been betrayed and abandoned by His friends, then beaten, mocked, tortured by complete strangers, while He hung dying on the cross, Jesus was heard saying these words, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's Luke 23, 34. This is the love that God has for you. And then when He arose from the dead, Jesus didn't say, All right, guys, you had your chance. Now it's time for a little payback. That's how we would think, or that's how Hollywood would think, because every movie I watch on TV is about revenge. You know, there's always something kind of revenge going on. I mean, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's not what Jesus is about. He's not about payback. Jesus rose with the same message He proclaimed while He lived and demonstrated while He died. It was the message of love, the message of forgiveness and reconciliation for every sinner, saint, and seeker. I don't know about you, but hey, I'll be honest with you. 
I struggle with love when people offend me. I do. I mean, I have a hard time when people are driving down the street and I'm in the right lane and their left lane and they take a right-hand turn in front of me. I have a problem with that. My tongues don't always sound like, a, like they sound here in, in church. I know that doesn't happen to you because I know you guys are more perfect than I am. <laughs> How about you? But hey, sometimes I have to remind the old flesh, you're dead. Shut up. <laughs> but through the way that Jesus lived and died and lived again, Jesus taught us to love our enemies. That even means your neighbors <laughs> that you don't like. <laughs> How many got neighbors you don't like? Now, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> because the gospel is the message of God loving us and loving His. The good news is that God is loving us now no matter what we have done in the past or who we have hurt. Live loved because you are loved. The cross of Christ proved it. God's love for us is literally outlandish. It's outlandish. It's the love that God has for us is almost scandalous. I mean, the way He loved us. Isaiah 49.15 in the New Living Translation says, Oh, we're still in Luke. Oh, there it is. God said to Israel, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. That's just powerful. Isn't that powerful? God's love for us? That He would not even... I mean, and then you can take that right into the story of the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son when the father, after the son had prodigal living, spent all his inheritance, and he runs back to the father, and the father runs out to meet him, embraces him, and kisses him, and throws a party for him, and he says, I love you. No need to rehearse what you did wrong. I don't need to hear it. I just want you to know you're forgiven. You're loved. This was so excessively generous that it probably isn't good parenting in human terms. There's no tough love here, Pastor. But that's the point of God's love for us. It's so generous that if it were expressed in human terms, it would be outlandish or even scandalous. His love is so durable that it cannot be broken or discouraged by even our worst behavior. How many's ever had that slogan, our worst behavior? Now you can raise your hand. The gospel is the good news that God became one of us to show us His love. And that love gives us the courage to come to Him or come back to Him no matter how far we've run from Him. And there's people today who are running from God. You know, the term the gospel people use, the religious use is, they're backslid. I, I don't use that term anymore. I use the term that they've lost their identity. They've lost their identity. They forgot who they were when they first got saved. Because when Jesus saves you, it changes everything. 
You're never the same again. And smarts and strengths or status, it doesn't matter if you have them or if you don't. None of those things are why God loves you. Grace is God saying, I love you, but not because you're attractive. But not because you're smart or you have status. After all, if we have a list of attributes that cause God to love us, what happens if we lose those attributes in the process of love? Amen? God says, I love you because it is my nature to love. And that's right, you are stuck with me and my love. That's what he's saying. You're stuck with me and my love. Because God keeps telling us over and over every day, He loves us. He loves us. God loves you. He's madly in love with you. He can't stop thinking about you over and over and over. And then He goes on to say, you may not know this, he says, but I want you to know this. I made you just like me. I made you just like me so that you can love others who cannot behave well. They don't behave as you would want them to behave all the time. And what's the greatest thing you can give that person is love. It's the greatest thing because God showed us the same thing. And why we were yet enemies. Why we were yet sinners. He loved us. What's the greatest thing you can give somebody who offends you? Love and forgiveness. The father in the parable of the prodigal son maintained a heart of forgiveness from the moment the son did the wrong thing and maintained that heart until he came home and was waiting for him and embraced him and kissed him and forgave him for everything he did. While the elder brother was in the house, angry and mad, which is most of the church today, when somebody misbehaves in their little church club and they leave the club and want to come back, they have to pay to get back. That's not God. That's not who He is. That's religion. Jesus came to end religion. That's why they crucified Him. Because He came as the one to end all religion, to end all rules, to end all systems of the way that we think we have to believe to be accepted in the Beloved. Let's turn now to John 13. In the, let's go to the New Living Translation. John 13. And I'm going to read few verses for you. Here are some thoughts about His love that is found in John 13. They, they, they simply, they, let's simply read a few and dig out the gold nuggets that speak of His love for us. 13.1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and would return to His Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of His love. Wow. I just don't think we read enough. That Scripture and that translation is powerful. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew. He knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father, and He now showed the disciples the full extent of His love. 
Let's go down to verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, verse 5, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. Moments before Jesus was arrested and sentenced to die, the Apostle John records that Jesus loved them to the very end. See, the word end here is telos in Greek, which means the end goal or consummation of something. The ultimate expression or the complete fullness of a greater reality. You know, sometimes we can't see because the trees are in the way. I mean, there's sometimes hidden messages in the Scripture that we don't always see when you read it the first time. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to you. But one translation declares this same verse, He loved them to the uttermost. Too many Christians can only think of Jesus' mission on earth as the cross. And though that thought is pivotal, but He also came to show us how to live in this world that we are not of. I mean, you're in the world, but not of it. I mean, sometimes you get consumed by it too much by being on the tube too much. Or internet, or whatever. Or social media, you can get consumed if you're not careful. In the world, but not of the world. This too is an expression of God's love to us. And so even before Jesus died for us, I mean, before Jesus died for us, He lived for us. Leaving us as an example of God's love for us and the love that we can live as we serve others. Let's go to Matthew 20. New King James. You don't... I know you guys don't bring all your all these different Bibles with you, but that's why we got John, our AV guy, in the back. Right, John? Thank you, John, for all you do back there. We can't see you, but we know that you're working. <laughs> Sounds like the song Waymaker. Even though I can't see you, we know you're working. We sing that for John. Can't see that AV man back there, but he's working. And we should say thank you, John for serving us and loving us with your work of love. Amen? Matthew 20, 25 through 28, it says, But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Sounds like the government... Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus, that's correct. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. So at this Last Supper, Jesus took time to reconfigure His disciples' understanding of the Passover meal, saying that the bread and the wine 
were His body and blood, and that eating and drinking them would be an act of remembering for all of His followers. But even before that, Jesus did one final act designed to show the heart of God for His people. He got down on His hands and knees, taking on the role of a slave. Of a slave. And washed their feet. Even though Jesus was their Lord, their leader, their teacher, their master and Messiah, He never called people to serve Him, but rather offered His entire life in the service of people. And while teaching His disciples how to lead through serving, Jesus had earlier said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. If you had walked into the room where the disciples were having their last supper with Jesus before His crucifixion, you would have been hard-pressed to identify who the leader of the group was. Because Jesus was washing their feet. He would have been the one on His hands and knees doing the job of a slave, serving the needs of everyone else in the room and showing them how to love each other without concern for ego or applause. And in this we see God washing feet. We see a glimpse of what God is like. In a word, God is humble. Who is not looking for slaves or demanding service, but a God who serves because God who loves in practical ways. Our society doesn't often think of God this way. This is not a God demanding worship, but a God we want to worship and adore out of gratitude. I just love how Anita just, whenever we're worshiping, she's trying to get you to get it. Thanks, Anita. I got it. When I walk in, His presence is here because His presence lives in me. All the praise and worship does is turn it up higher. It makes it faster and I go crazy. If you ever see me going like this during worship, you just know I'm in. I don't need much because He's always with me. Remember, this is the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, universe showing us His heart. In human form. Remember when I talked last week, Jesus is Lord. I talked about the bos- His bosom, and I said the bosom. I said the way that you can describe His bosom is by literally God coming to you and taking His hands, putting them in His chest, and opening up His heart, opening up His chest cavity, just to show you His heart of love for you. Just ripping open His chest to tell you how much He loves you. And here we see Jesus again, the Father on His knees, washing feet, loving and leading by example. And in the end, what God does for us through Christ is to offer ourselves, He is to offer ourselves to others. You can call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what? Next two words, what does He say? I am. Not that I, your Lord teacher, have not washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. We should serve one another gladly. We should be slaves to one another gladly. Because I have set an example for you. Let's go to John 13. Let's go back to John 13. 
verse 13 through 15. John 13, 13 through 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because it is true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Amen. How true it is that a servant is not greater than the master, nor are messengers more important than these things. Now do them. This is the path of blessing. This is the path of blessing. I'd like the worship team to come up. I'm going to share one more scripture as they get set. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.20. You probably should know this one by heart by now. I probably used it. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Just thought I'd throw that in. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. God is madly in love with you. He thinks about you every day. He has a personal crush on you, personally. He loves you. He's madly in love with you. Amen. Yeah. 
Corinthians chapter 10. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing of wine at the Lord's Supper upon which we ask God's blessing. Does it not mean that in drinking it we participate in and share a fellowship, a communion in the blood of Christ the Messiah? The bread which we break, does it not mean that in eating it we participate in and share a fellowship, a communion in the body of Christ? For we, no matter how numerous we are, are one body, because we all partake of the one bread, the one whom the communion bread represents. And so as believers in Christ, we display God's most excellent grace with humility. And as His bride, we have only one source of revelation and demonstration as is derived from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because of who we are, His bride, we can try to persuade others to dine with us at the table of the Lord. Society is shifting as we, the bride, are coming out from among the crowd and beginning to see miracles at our hands and signs and wonders too. Communion will release justice and redemption on present or past issues that we have. Communion is the reminder of our eternal marriage when Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world and then through him our end has been revealed from the beginning. We are the bride of Christ. Now and forever since eternity. And this revelation brings us to the throne of God. For I received from the Lord Himself that which I passed on to you. It was given to me personally that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was treacherously delivered up and while he was betrayed was in the presence took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together by the bread Similarly, similarly, when supper had ended, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. Can you hold up your cup? It's a symbol of victory. Established in my blood, this do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat and drink this cup, you are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. Now before the worship team starts again and we sing this song to close, I would like to invite everybody in the room to come to the front and stand up here in our closing song to worship the Lord.
And not only that, here, here's some Italian for you, Pastor Mike. He takes and he takes and he pours some oil out on a dish. And you take that bread, that living bread, that living water, and you dip it in the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then you partake of it. And all of a sudden, that bread becomes life. It becomes power. But He not only does that, He supplies the water for the meal just as soon as well. He is the living water. He says, if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. So when we drink the water, what does the Bible also say about the water? The water is healing. It's healing. It flows from the throne of God and it is healing. But here's something else. If I remember right, you, you know why the water tastes so good? Because Jesus always turns the water into wine. The thing is, is every day, Jesus is working. He's working. All of the time He's working. He stands at the door. Every morning when you wake up, Jesus is standing at the door. You have the choice. Are you going to open the door? Are you going to feast on the bread? Are you going to feast on, drink the wine? Are you going to feast on the Holy Spirit as He partakes of the Word of God and it becomes life not only to you but to those around about you? He's knocking every day. And He'll stand there and He'll knock all day long. If you don't open it, He'll be there the next morning. It's your choice. It's your choice. What's your day going to be like? Are you going to open the door when you first get up so that your day is good, so that your day is an awesome day, so that your day is filled with the power and blessings of God? Or are you going to just let it keep knocking? I'm afraid too often we get up in the morning and we're so busy we, we can't even hear the knock. We can't even hear the knock. Get up 15, 20 minutes earlier so you can steady your spirit and hear the knock and open the door. Let Him come in. Let Him come in. And then, you know what will happen? He will be famous in your life throughout that day.
Lord, I 